The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. This morning, if you have your Bible, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. We're going to look at uh, the next story as Matthew, we're following through Matthew, the first of the four Gospels about Jesus, and we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is here with Jesus. And so we're excited to see what the Lord's going to do. He's, he's been teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, the principles of the kingdom of heaven. But then in Matthew 8, 9, and 10, Matthew throws out 10 different stories, 10 different kind of miracles to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. Because the gospel is not in word only, but there's also a demonstration of the power and the authority that confirms the word is not the word of man. It's the word of God, and it's the word from heaven, and it has all the power and authority of heaven with it. And God's desire to bring heaven to the earth. So let's uh, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for those who are here with us. Uh, we thank you for those that are, you know, joining online, wherever they may be. Uh, we just thank you for the opportunity uh, to look into your story, your gospel, the good news about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, this, this message uh, is very pertinent, very appropriate for what is going on, even in our nation, uh, with the events that have unfolded this last week. And we think of that, uh, that high school and the tragedy of what took place uh, there and those, the loss of students' lives and now families that are grieving uh, this horrific loss uh, and a lost young man and a troubled nation. Lord, if ever there was a time we need to, you know, we need to look up to heaven. We need, and, and we pray, there, there's political decisions, there's all kinds of other ramifications that we can look uh, at and sort through and give attention to. But Father, we also know that ultimately we need, we need a divine intervention. We need the windows of heaven to open and that you would pour out your spirit upon us to give us wisdom uh, as we have been chosen to live for such a time as this. So may we hear what the spirit would say to us here right now in your house. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, I'm gonna, we're going to read through the first um, story here. Let's see, that's... It's not moving. There we go. Okay, so beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. And then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is greater or easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say arise and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. So the, the whole point of this story, I believe that Matthew is sharing with us, is to demonstrate Jesus has the power from heaven, the authority from the kingdom of heaven to pardon our sins. And this is further evidence of the Messiahship of Jesus. Uh, it's interesting that this miracle happened in a home, and it was a very public uh, setting. It was an open setting. And the idea is that no one would doubt Jesus' true identity as the Messiah. And uh, so Matthew has been focusing on the divinity of Jesus and, his, and the divine favor that it's like heaven has come to the earth with the person of Jesus as the Messiah, and wherever he goes, every time he opens his mouth, heaven comes flowing out of his mouth. Every time he touches someone or comes into an environment, heaven literally breaks loose everywhere he goes. And so each of these miracles fulfill the very prophecies that have been given. There were over 300 of them, I don't know, somewhere around 320 prophecies that are, you know, littered through the Old Testament over a period of some 2,000 years from the time of Abraham until the time of the coming of the, of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, and then 30 years later he begins his ministry. So Jesus is fulfilling uh, all of these prophecies. They had waited for this, longed for this, looked for this, prayed for this for centuries. But, and they'd had some mighty men of God and mighty women of God, but no one had done these kind of miracles. No one had demonstrated this kind of power. No one had changed the atmosphere on earth from earth to heaven as Jesus did. Well, here's one of many of those prophecies I'd put into your notes there, Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. Let's read this out loud together. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Then this is what will happen. What, what, when then? When the Messiah comes, when the messianic era comes, when the kingdom of heaven comes. And so, you, you know, the end is all the way back in the beginning. You have to go back to the very first couple of paragraphs of Genesis with the first human couple, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. And then when sin, you know, was unveiled and, and they chose to rebel and it brought the curse and, and death. Uh, and that curse, you know, uh, there, there, all the ramifications, there were human ramifications, death now would come. And by the way, we, you need to know and understand, death is not natural. Of course, it's, it's abnormal. We were not meant nor made nor designed on a molecular level, an atomic level, soul level, spirit level. We were made in the image and after the likeness of God. We were meant to live forever. And that's why death is such a screeching halt. 
There's something almost innate within every human being to resist it and to fight it and to grieve over it. If it's so natural, oh, this is the way it is. You know, you just come, you die, and you're a nothing for eternity. Why, why do we fight everything within us? I think C.S. Lewis said the very fact that every, every atom in our being, it, it resists and fights it, but we succumb to it. it. It's because it was a curse. And so God had a plan from the beginning. He goes, look, I'm going to, this is going to take a supernatural and divine intervention. I'm going to send my son who has been at my right hand for all of eternity from heaven in my presence where everything is beautiful and perfect. He's going to go down into the earth. He's going to take on the robe of human flesh, blood, and bone, and he's going to do whatever it takes to reverse the curse. He literally then died on the cross and then was buried and then broke sin, broke death, broke disease, broke the devil's power, and resurrected and said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that follows me shall live forever and ever. Amen? Woo! He came. Listen carefully as a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, we are reminded constantly now, tragically, and and I feel sorry for, I wanted to say for you, but I want to say also, I feel sorry for us. This generation, there's never been a generation of human beings who have had access to such, to knowledge. Used to, you knew what was going on in your little town or community. Uh, now we, we can know every bad thing that is happening in every community, not only in our own nation, but around the world. How many would agree it's a big load of bad news, terrible news, horrific news? Thank God that in this God loved, God saw, God cared, God sent, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe and trust in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to reverse the curse. He literally reversed it and brought it back around. So then, when the Messiah comes, and by the way, the word Messiah, I I was just taught this by a a Jewish believer in Jesus recently. He says, so Ray, tell me, you're a pastor. What does the word Messiah mean? I go, it means the anointed one. He goes, yes and no. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, yes and no. He said, literally, to put it into the Hebrew, it means not the anointed, but the anointing one. The anointing one. So what that means is it's an active word, not just he's the guy. It is more than that. He is the anointing one. He lives then to bring his anointing, which is the power of his kingdom, which is the realm of heaven. And that's why when he speaks, his words change lives and heal hearts and change minds and heal bodies and deliver souls. There's power. He is the anointing. How many want that anointing of the Messiah? The anointing one. So he comes, and when he comes, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, uh, the dumb will sing, the, the lame will leap like a, a, a deer, and there shall burst forth even in the wilderness and streams in the desert. You know, there's a lot of talk and, and well said, uh, for ecology and for our planet, wanting to save the planet. Listen, the greenest thing that you can do is to be a lover and believer in Jesus Christ who came to turn the deserts so that they're blossoming like the rose. Can I hear an amen on that? 
The greenest thing you can do is just be filled with the Holy Spirit, follow Jesus till his kingdom comes and transforms and reverses every desert so that it bursts forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, and the trees of the field will clap their hands for joy. So I want to go back and look at this story a little bit at a time. So let's go back to uh, the first couple of verses again. So he got into a boat and crossed over and came to his own city. So the last story from a couple of weeks ago, Jesus got into a boat, went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to deliver two uh, men that were possessed by demons, legions. So he delivered them. Now he gets in the boat, comes back to the Jewish side, his own city, which would be Capernaum, the headquarters of his ministry. So everybody hears, hey, Jesus is back. He'd already done miracles there. Then he left, went to the Gadara uh, uh, area. Now he's come back. And so the word spreads. So then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, the, what the story tells us, it's about a man who is paralyzed and who is not able to bring himself to Jesus, he needs help. And so he has friends who literally take him, this man paralyzed, and bring him to where Jesus is. So the point, the obvious point I want to make is that the best thing we can do for our friends is bring them to Jesus no matter what it takes. Now, I want to say that, I want to call this a, a divine intervention for a couple of reasons. Number one, as we said, the man was lame. He, he couldn't get up. He could not go uh, to this place. And so we find from another gospel that actually uh, he had four friends. And these must have been good friends because they, they've heard about Jesus. Uh, they've, they've now had testimonies in their own neighborhoods and communities and towns. People they knew that were sick of all kinds of things have been radically healed. And they have a dear, beloved friend, four of them, which speaks well of this poor guy, paralyzed, but he had relationships. He was in relationship. He had friends. And they said, we're going to take you to the guy where miracles happen. And they picked him up. So um, I want to just show you, this is from uh, the movie Jesus of Nazareth it came out a long, long time ago, if you haven't seen that, that one. But anyway, this is the reenactment of that. Um, the, the four friends, you know, so they've got him, in the, the lame guy is laying on his little cot, and there's four guys, one on each one of the corners, and, and they bring him to where Jesus is. The problem is when they get to the house where Jesus was, it's so packed with people, wall-to-wall bodies, that you literally could not open the door because there was people at, all the way to the door. And then there's people hanging on the outside who wish they could be inside. Um, and Jesus is in the middle of the house and ministering and doing whatever he's doing. So because probably they had to go get him and then they had to carry him, they're late to the party. They don't get inside. So do they give up? Do they wait for another time? No. The four friends make a decision. We're getting, we're getting this guy. We're getting our friend to Jesus, whatever it takes. So they climb up on the roof, and they literally start taking the roof apart. 
okay? And, and I, I think this is hilarious. Uh, they open it, so that's a reenactment there where there, there may be a little bit of wood and there's some straw or whatever. And can you imagine you're in the home, you're like with Jesus, you're hanging on every word, and then dirt starts falling over here in the corner, and it's all of a sudden you see, uh, I'm sure it stopped whatever was going on inside. And, and I wonder, by the way, it wasn't their house. <laughs> like if it's your, your house, you're going, hey, what are you guys doing? I was thinking this morning, I came uh, to Jimmy and I said, Jimmy, you know, we're telling the story of the paralyzed guy coming through the thing. You know, I was wondering, would it be okay if right after the worship, we hoisted you up and, you know, way up there and then let you down real slow, you know, in the middle of the thing. We decided not to. But anyway, um, so I imagine as the commotion, there's dirt and they're pulling stuff. And finally, so everybody's staring, watching. The hole gets big enough to put the guy through. And then these little four faces look through, you know, and they're waving to everybody down there. And then with, you know, whatever, cloths or ropes or whatever they let. So the poor guy's just laying there and he's slowly going down in front of everybody, right? And there he is. Hi, guys. (laughs) And there's Jesus. Now, what's interesting is what happens next. You immediately think, wow, Jesus is famous for healing people. Wow, these guys have just let down a guy that can't walk on a cot in the front of Jesus. Obviously, Jesus is going to heal this guy. Wow. But that's not what happens, at least not first, not immediately. The first thing Jesus does, he comes up to the guy, but he speaks to him and he says, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Wow. That is powerful. Um, Because... What's exciting is that Jesus is showing us that forgiveness is more important even than physical healing. Do you believe that? Getting your soul right and getting your heart right is more important. May I say, because we've been praying for people, as you know, a while back, the Lord started telling me, hey, start praying for people with the whole congregation, especially at communion. God's going to, I'm going to start healing people. And he has been healing and delivering people. And there are some, though, that are saying, wow, I, I just, if I could feel better, then I will really start growing and seeking the Lord. I want to give you a word right from this story. And I want to tell you I know, you know, we've all suffered. We've all had physical ailments. We, you know, we live in a fallen world, broken world, um, and pain and agony and all of that. But let me just, if I could just speak this word inside of you, that, that if you will put your spirit first and say, Lord, whatever it takes, I want to get my heart right with you. I want to be aligned spiritually with you. I want the joy of the Lord to be my strength. I want my faith to grow. And then, yes, I would like to be made whole. But I seek first and I choose you and your kingdom and your righteousness and let all else follow after me. That's a very, very powerful thing to decide. And I believe that Jesus was here modeling that very thing. Now, look with me in verse 2. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. Now, most of the stories are when Jesus saw his faith or her faith. Okay, you're healed. Be it unto you according to your faith. But there's nothing about the paralytic guy having even an ounce of faith. It doesn't even mention him. 
It says, when Jesus saw their faith. You know, there, there can come times where we have family or we have friends. Maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's something else going on, an addiction, a loss of a job, a crisis, some financial calamity. And they, you know, maybe they believe in God and maybe they're believers, but they're crushed. They got nothing. I love this story because it shows the value of divine intervention of family and friends who believe for the one who doesn't have it. They just can't muster it. And Jesus is like, it's okay. I don't need you. You, you're, you, you just be there. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. But when he saw their faith, it's very powerful uh, that, that God honored it. What's also interesting is when Jesus saw their faith, they didn't say anything. They gave no words. There's no record of them speaking one single word of we believe in you, you must be the Messiah, we have faith in you. They didn't say anything. How did Jesus know their faith? Because of the desperate uh, attempts that they, they were willing to do whatever it took. In other words, their actions spoke louder than words. They said, we, all we need to do is get this guy in front of Jesus and it'll be over. He'll take care of it. So our actions, when we have loved ones and friends that maybe need a divine intervention, your faith will be honored by the Lord on their behalf. Your faith can still make a tremendous difference. Now, let's look at verses 2 and 3 because, you know, the guy gets healed too. Jesus goes on to say, you're healed, you're whole, and the man ends up going home. It's a beautiful thing. But um, let's go to the next part here. Verses uh, 2 and 3, we read that, Then, behold, they brought him the paralytic lying on the bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. Jesus says, I forgive you. You're forgiven of all your sins that you've committed against God. This is radical. Only God can forgive sins committed against God. And so Jesus does. What I'm saying is Jesus does something, says something that would have shocked any Jewish audience, ears, community in that moment because of what he claimed. It was very clear. He was saying, I am equal with God. I am equal with my Father. I have been given the authority to forgive sins committed against God. Be of good cheer, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, what we find out from another gospel, uh, the gospel of Luke, because it's the four gospels tell you know, it's like the, the scene of an event, and you have four corners, and four guys write down what they saw, and each of the four sees it from a different angle. Luke saw it from another corner, but what he adds to this story is that inside of the house were not only believers and, and followers and people that wanted their friends healed, there were some Pharisees, religious leaders, who had traveled all the way from Jerusalem down in the south apparently sent from Jerusalem to examine this self-proclaimed Messiah. They've been hearing, he's doing miracles we've never seen before. And many are starting to say the Messiah is among us. 
but he has not been approved by them, nor recognized by them, nor did he come through them. Now, I want you to notice that immediately and yet privately, they didn't verbalize it, they didn't say it out loud, but inside their minds, there were several of these Pharisees who said, he is blaspheming. They didn't verbalize it, they didn't say it, they didn't show it, But I want you to know this, Jesus read their minds. What does that say to you? There are times where people think, you know, that we can have our own little private world, our own little private thoughts, and, you know, I'm not going to tell God about that. He sees everything. There there are no, you can't hide from God. You, You can't, your thoughts, whether you verbalize them or not, whether you say them or not, when they're inside, he sees everything, he knows everything. How many find that rather sobering? I know I do. And they're thinking, he's blaspheming. He's claiming to be equal with God, and they're correct. Jesus is claiming to do something that only God can do. And so he really is claiming this is, he is revealing the true identity of the Messiah, equal with God the Father. There are many in the world today that can accept teacher Jesus, or they accept miracle worker Jesus, or they can say prophet Jesus. But when you say Jesus is deity or that he is as the Son of God equal to God the Father and that they are one, then they go, no, 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 we can't go there. I want to say this in the clearest terms I can. And this is the most, this is the heart of the whole entire revelation of Jesus as the Messiah. This is the golden nugget that is embedded from the Gospel of Matthew all the way through the entire New Testament to the last verse of the book of Revelation, and that is that Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He is deity. So you you guys know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Well, there's another 3.16, very important in the New Testament, and that's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Let's read it out loud together. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Hallelujah. Great is the mystery of godliness. What it means is we can't fathom it. We can't figure it out. We can't understand it. It's beyond. It's a mystery. But that God was manifest in the flesh. I'm telling you, that's how radical it is because that's how deep in trouble of the devil and darkness and brokenness and sin and darkness and the curse Only God could have broken the curse and liberated us. It it doesn't get any more radical than that. It is so radical that the angels, because God has two families. He's got the heavenly family, the angels, called the sons of God in the Old Testament. And then he's got the earthly family, which are human beings down here. And God wants to bring them all together. But literally, when the angels saw, it said these things, the angels longed to look. They were like... 
It took their breath away. They'd been around for who knows. They were long before the earth was created, the universe and all the angels had been around. And then they saw this, and then they saw the planet, and then they saw man and created, and then they saw God with Jesus, the incarnation, that, be- that mystery that is so great that God became man. And they were like, because oh! God didn't become an angel, but God did become a man. And, and even the angels like, wow. And they serve along with the Lord for all of that. So it was an amazing thing. Now look with me at the next couple of verses. Matthew chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. And, G- and whoops, wrong one. Verse 4, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? Um, now, that's a great question. Uh, what is easier to say? Actually, it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you. I can say that, but you can't see it. The harder thing to say is, if you're paralyzed and you're lame, they're lame, have been for years, get up and walk. Now it's like either it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. That's harder to say. But Jesus is going to do the harder thing to show that the one that you can't see actually is true, that he has the power to forgive sins. But I want you to note this. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And I describe it in this way of exercising a spiritual gift that later is promised to the church called the word of knowledge. Jesus knowing their thoughts. Uh, By the way, this alone should have been able to prove to them Jesus' deity as he demonstrated he could read their minds and what they were thinking. But this is talked about as a gift that God through the Holy Spirit would give the church called the Word of Knowledge. Read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. Let's read this out loud. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Now, Jesus... Okay, so he's God. He knows all things. He could see and he could read their minds and so forth. And by the way, Jesus has all of the gifts. <laughs> he had everything. But interestingly, after Jesus rose and he said, I'm going to send my spirit, the Holy Spirit that has been with me, that empowered me, I'm going to send him to you. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to send my, the Holy Spirit will be living inside of you. And then in 1 Corinthians, Paul said the Holy Spirit, the glory of God that dwells within us, he doesn't give you all the gifts, but the Holy Spirit gives you this gift, and, I'm gonna, and it's a supernatural gift, it's a spiritual gift, it's a divine gift, a heavenly gift, a kingdom gift, and then I'm going to give you this gift over here, and then you get that gift, and then he likens all these different gifts, kind of like we're called the body of Christ, Jesus is the head, and we're, you know, like somebody's a hand, somebody else is an eye, somebody else is like an ear, somebody else is a foot. Uh, so what it means is, while Jesus is whole and complete and has all of the gifts, you and I, the Spirit gives different gifts, and we're different parts of the body. Now, you have a body, you know, from head to toe. How many of you are glad you have all of your parts? I mean, you like your parts. Okay, so you have that one body. So we, we need, now what if in the Bible the, the analogy is you're an ear and you're an eye. You hear things in a certain way. You see things in the spirit in a certain way. 
With, with hearing, that's good, but not enough. Seeing is good, but I can't hear. Put the seeing and the hearing together. Ah, so God has given the gifts of the Spirit in such a way that Christianity is not a, you know, American Lone Ranger sport. It's not a solo lifestyle or occupation. It is designed so that we are interdependent upon others. I need you as much as you need me. I have things that God just gave me, and I'm going to take what God gave me, and I'm going to share it with you. But thank you very much. Would you please share with me what God has given to you, and together we are strengthened. Together we make up the whole body of Christ. Amen? So we need one another. What is this, you know, so with the Holy Spirit, word of wisdom, what does that mean? It means that because the Holy Spirit's inside of you, you're, you know, you got a crisis, uh, you got a situation, you don't know what to do. You're racking your brain. You can't figure it out. You've come at it from, uh, you know, 360 degrees, nothing. You stop, you take a deep breath. Lord, I'm praying. I don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, you get a download. But it's not because you're so smart or you got a high IQ. You get a, this is a gift of the Spirit. God gives you wisdom, divine wisdom, heavenly insight. He drops it into your spirit. You verbalize it. You activate by faith. Hey, I just had this thought come to me. I was praying and you share this thought and everybody goes, oh, awesome. And they all, they all see it, they all get it, they all confirm it, you do it, and it works. The word of wisdom. Now, there's another gift of the Spirit, and, and all of us will, you know, have had that at times. It's not like, oh, I've got the, you know, I got the gift of wisdom, I'm just going to, everything I say is like wisdom, you know. It doesn't work that way. He gives it severally as he will, and when he wants, and by the leading of the Spirit. Same with the word of knowledge. And I've experienced Words of wisdom and then also words of knowledge. A word of knowledge is God knows everything. We don't know everything. But sometimes I'll be in a place, in a situation with a person, and all of a sudden it's like, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I, I see something in them. But I, it's not that I see it with my physical eyes. It's like I can see inside of them something that's going on. Or I know something about them. And you're like, how do I know that? This is not ESP. This is not, you know, uh, you know, some kind of trick or something like that. It's like, I know something. And I've learned to grow with that to say, Lord, wow, I, I see something in them. I perceive something. And I start talking to the Lord. Lord, are you sharing with me something about this person? I know. And, and so then the Lord taught me to activate it. You have to activate it. And that takes faith. That takes courage. So you see this person, they're smiling and they're cruising around and they're, they're happy. And, and, but the Lord is, you see inside of them, on the outside they're smiling and going through like everything's fine. You see like in the spirit a, a person that is broken, frustrated, angry, confused, and really struggling. But you look at the outside and it's like, so all of a sudden, Lord, I, I just pray if this is you, please confirm it. You walk up to them and I've learned how to. So um, have you been maybe recently going through a struggle that's just tearing your heart apart? And all of a sudden that big smile facade thing, the countenance changes, tears start welling up. And it's like, whoa, wow, that was supernatural. That was confirmation. 
And the big deal is not that I saw or had a word of knowledge about that as much as now. I followed up with, could I pray for you? Uh, because God showed me. And they're like, how did you know that? I've been trying to hide it from everybody. Because the Spirit gave a word of knowledge. Jesus, you know, he knows all things. So he read their minds. And that must have been very weird for those guys. They're thinking in their heads, he's blaspheming. He goes, you guys think I'm blaspheming right now, don't you? He goes, I'm going to prove to you that I'm not. Which is easier to say, be forgiven your sins or rise up and walk? It's probably easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't see that. Well, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do the harder thing. He says, man, pick up your, your cot and walk. And the lame guy stands up and begins doing that. And all of a sudden, transformation. And, and what he's saying is, because I could heal him and you can see it, and that's, that's supernatural, then know that what I say about claiming to forgive sins also is real. That man is forgiven before God. I am, therefore, who I claim to be. I have the power I claim to have. I am the Messiah. I am the anointing one. I'm bringing heaven to the earth, and all who follow and believe in me shall live forever and ever. Amen? So read with me Psalm 103, verses 1 through 4. Let's read this out loud. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He combines in this prophecy here in this psalm who forgives all your sins and iniquities, who heals all of your diseases. That is the anointing one, the Messiah. And finally, uh, verses 6 through 8, and we close the story with this. It says in verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, pick up your bed. Walk, go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Power to forgive sin, power to heal, power to make whole. And when it says that they were, you know, literally in awe, they were awestruck, fear came upon them. Because they, re- they put it together. He has the power to heal, and he claims he has the power to forgive. And you put those together, you have the Messiah, the anointing one. And it is awesome. And, and I'm telling you, Jesus is not done, because wait till you see what he does next, but we're done for today. So, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and let's pray. I'm going to ask Jimmy and the worship team to come out, but I want to ask you a question. Before we go, and I want to give a little bit of anonymity, that's why I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. You know, I'm thinking of this uh, tragedy that just happened in Florida. We're still, you know, learning uh, the details, and people said, well, they knew, and there was problems, and they... You know, uh, the various things have, had been done. He had apparently lost his dad, had died already. His mom recently had passed away. There were symptoms. And, um, but, you know, I, I think about that young man. Wow. Had there been some friends, two, three, four of them that could have surrounded him 
and done a divine intervention. I thank God that recently we had Ryan Reese and the whosoever's come through nine high schools and one junior high school and there were over 1,600 kids, uh, you know, responded to a message about looking to Jesus. Um, and I wonder how many divine interventions there may have been. But I wonder, do you have someone? Can you think of someone in your family or your friends or a coworker um, that you're really, you know, there's some, their, their track record is bad. Uh, it may be, there may be some signs and some warning signs. Um, and, and the reality is they need a divine intervention. And, and, you know, you, nobody can predict the future, but, uh, you know, you, you see how things continue, and, and if they are, remain unchallenged or, or unhelped, it, it's frightening where things can go. So with your heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you would say, uh, yes, I know someone uh, that, that I believe is in trouble, I perceive is in trouble, and they do need, we need to pray for them, but also they need a divine intervention. If you know someone like that, would you just put your hand up uh, so that I can see it and then you can put it down right after you raise it. Wow, dozens, dozens of hands of people that are, you're concerned, uh, that need a divine intervention. So you, we need to pray that you would be available and open and maybe not alone. Look, it took four guys to carry the weight and the load. I think that's a great analogy. One guy couldn't have done it. Um, so don't try to do it alone, but maybe with others and with prayer and with some you know, help and, and counsel, maybe a divine intervention could really, really uh, get things off track from what the enemy has planned for destruction and where God could be glorified. Father, we just come before you this this day in the name of Jesus. And Lord, these dozens of hands, you know the people, you know the names, you know the stories, the situation. Some of them are very, their family, they're close, their loved ones, or their friends, or their co-workers, or whatever, and, and we care for them. And, and we bring them now with all those lifted hands and all those names, you know them. We lay them before the throne of God in heaven. God have mercy. And may you give the, the ministry and the flow of the Holy Spirit. May you drop down words of wisdom from the Holy Spirit into the minds of people. May you give words of knowledge that might be activated by people to just ask, how are you doing? What's going on? I perceive that you are struggling. And it could open the gates of them knowing that not just people are reading their minds, but that God knows their thoughts and their hearts and their desperation and that you're part of the answer to their prayer. So, Father, we pray for healing. We pray for salvation. We pray for deliverance. We pray for divine interventions. We pray, Lord, that to change the trajectory that could lead to destruction will now lead to healing, forgiveness, uh, life, deliverance, salvation, hope. And so thank you, Father, for this message. We, we receive it. We hear it. Now let us activate it and live it. We ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. 
Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.